are listening to The Moment, an interview podcast series on life. We interview and capture conversations with creative minds, thought leaders, disruptors, and the people that are doing what they love while challenging the status quo. You can find the show notes on our website, themomenthq.com, and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. But for now, let's dive into The Moment. Hello and welcome to The Moment HQ podcast, episode number 50. Today we're chatting with Devin Sisson, who is the author, artist, culinary enthusiast and restaurateur involved in the launch of the Primal Kitchen fast casual restaurant chain. After graduating from the new school in New York City with a degree in psychology, she started to express her creativity with a deep immersion into the study of nutrition with the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and self-improvement through spiritual psychology program at the University of Santa Monica. She's recently published a cookbook called Kitchen Intuition, which is what we'll be chatting about here today. So hello, Devon. Thanks for joining me today. Hello. Of course, I'm really, really happy to be here and chat with you today. Awesome. So for those of the listeners who aren't familiar with your work, can you just give us a little background on who you are, where you've come from? Yeah, of course. Um, For anyone who doesn't know, uh, my father is Mark Sisson, and he is sort of a leader in the, the health movement, if you will, and one of the pioneers of the, the paleo diet, the sort of caveman lifestyle, which he calls primal. And um, I've sort of grown up around all of his teachings, and he was a coach and an athlete and a blogger and an author, and now he's got a company. But um, certainly no pressure from him, just I think based on being aware of everything going on in the, in the health world for the last 26 years of my life, mm-hmm. uh, sort of got into it on my own, started my own path and decided to write a book and open a restaurant and become part of the family business in, in my own way. Mm-hmm. If that answers your question. Yeah, that's perfect. It's so nice that you've found your own path and, you know, it seems that you've tried a few different things. So let's go back a bit. How come you were interested in doing a degree in psychology to begin with? That's a good question because I would like to say, or I mean, I kind of tell people that I'm not really doing anything with it now. And for those of you that aren't familiar with a degree in psychology, everyone asks me if I'm a therapist now. Mm-hmm. And I, I knew that going to college, I wasn't, I wasn't in the right place in my life to decide what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. But I figured for the rest of my life, I'm going to have to deal with people, mm-hmm. whether it's in a work environment, with my family, with myself, with uh, relationships, intimate and friendships. So why not try to understand people. Why not think of other ways to interact with people and study people? So sort of chose psychology kind of because it was something I was interested in. And looking back, obviously it was a great idea because we study people all day long and it has had so much to do with health and nutrition and now opening a restaurant and has helped me immensely in just understanding the interactions that are going on around me. Mm, that's so true and so many people I'm sure listening can relate to that feeling of not exactly knowing what you want to do for the rest of your life but it's funny how a lot of the time whatever we end up doing they're all just stepping stones leading us to the thing that we really want to do anyway 
Absolutely. And I would encourage, you know, I talk to all of my, my mentees and my younger friends and my family members. Now I'm like, look, you don't have to go to school and decide what you're going to do, but Mm -hmm. go to school to do something that you enjoy, something you're going to immerse yourself in and just go, you know, finish high school, start college, doing something you're going to enjoy learning how to learn. Mm -hmm. And that, that will help you make decisions later in life. And thinking back, I really could have studied anything that I was interested in. It would have benefited where I am today and probably will continue to do so for the rest of my life. Yeah, absolutely. What was it like growing up in your household at a young age? Were you interested in the health space or was it just something that, you know, your dad was really into or, you know, were you also interested in it? Not at all. In fact, I was completely oblivious until I went to college. I, I, I noticed at a young age that, um, we had a certain type of food in our house and, you know, 20 years ago, that was kind of mostly vegetarian, low fat, high carb, whatever was the thing at the time. I remember having a lot of soy in the house, a lot of, a lot of organic. We've always had a lot of organic in the house, but I didn't realize that that wasn't normal until I would go to friends' houses and see Girl Scout cookies and Oreos and sugar cereal and soda. I think I was maybe in my teens the first time I had a soda. Wow, yeah. And <laughs> I, at the time, I think I was like, why don't my parents love me as much as my friends' parents do? Because they get to eat all this good, sugary, yummy junk food. And it's only now that I realized they were sort of leading by example and instilling these principles within me. And again, it wasn't about what was available in the house. It was that they were conscious of what was considered to be healthy based on the research at the time. Mm -hmm. So when I went away to college, it was the first time I, you know, moved 3000 miles away from home. And the first opportunity I had to grocery shop for myself and to choose what I was going to eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner rather than just having it served to me. Mm -hmm. So I had to start asking myself, am I choosing these foods because they feel good in my body because I like them? Or am I just choosing them because that's what I'm used to seeing in my refrigerator for my whole life? Mm. And so what was the experience like for you? Because moving out of home, you know, no one's there to watch over what you choose to eat. Did you find that you still stuck to what you were used to? For a while, I I actually met a friend of mine who was kind of the only friend I had my first year in college, and she was very, very much into health. So I just sort of started eating the way that she would eat. And I knew my parents ate a lot of vegetables and mostly salads for lunch. And I never saw them eat junk food or drink a lot of alcohol or eat any sugar. So those are the things that I followed just because it was part of my natural routine in life. You know, Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it meant to have dessert every night of the week unless it was my birthday. Mm -hmm. And so that's definitely when it started. Um, I'm trying to think it was so, it was honestly, it was confusing. Right. What, what part about it was confusing for you? Do you think? I just didn't know what was good for me and I didn't know why I was making the decisions I was making. And admittedly, I was a little afraid to go out of my comfort zone and 
eat a different way. I was worried that it would significantly change my body. And it was so funny. They talk about, um, the freshman 15, Mm -hmm. which is when you gain weight, when you go away from home. And I was so, I was so (laughs) nervous that that was going to happen, that I sort of became hyper aware of what I was eating and how often I was working out. Mm -hmm. But it was only because I didn't want to fly home during the holidays and have everyone go, whoa, what have you been doing? Yeah. I didn't realize at the time that that happens because kids go away and they drink a lot of alcohol and they eat pizza late at night, which I wasn't doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually came home a bit, a bit healthier than when I left because I started to just be, be mindful of those things and watch the people around me. I started, I remember at that time I started noticing some kids in my class that had really bad skin conditions or acne or eczema, or they were tired all the time. But I also noticed, and for the first time made the connection, that they drank soda five times a day and had pizza every day for lunch and ate brownies for breakfast. Mm. And I thought, maybe there's something to that. No one ever told me, but it's interesting that they're experiencing these health issues already that I am not. But hey, look at the food choices they're making. I wonder if there's a correlation. Mm-hmm. Such a wise person you seem to be at that age as well. <laughs> and I can I can relate in the sense of I grew up in a similar kind of household where we weren't allowed to drink soda, no sweets, you know, we were all very healthy. And I think as an adult now looking back on that, I can't thank my parents enough because it's put me in the position where those things don't even tempt me. Like it's not something that just comes into my Uh, consciousness because it's not things that make me feel good and not things I'm naturally drawn to either. So I imagine that's probably how you feel as well. Absolutely. And I think more, more than anything, it was just their habits Mm -hmm. because they never said, make sure to eat your vegetables. Don't do this, do that, go to bed, brush your teeth. They never really said those things Mm -hmm. so much as I just watched them do it. So even if we did have sweets in the house, it lasted for weeks because when they did eat it, it was a small amount and it wasn't very frequently. Mm -hmm. And I watched them exercise, but no one ever told me I had to. I watched them get eight plus hours of sleep every night. It was just these patterns and these habits that they instilled in me, I think kind of unknowingly now Mm -hmm. that we joke about it at the dinner table. (laughs) Um, but they never said, don't eat Oreos. I just never saw them eat Oreos. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't really available. It wasn't really wasn't really a thing. Mm. It sounds like, you know, they were just leading by example, which is really such a great way to, I think, parent. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I thank them for that now, for sure. Now let's talk a little bit about your book, Kitchen Intuition. I love the little, you know, the headline on it. It says, cook with your hands, laugh with your belly, trust your intuition. And so let's, when did the idea for this book start to come to fruition? Um, it's actually a funny story. I was completing my master's in spiritual psychology and part of the thesis project was literally to, to do something that you've always wanted to do. Kind Mm -hmm. of the first thing that comes to mind and the, the project itself was not going to be the grade. It was about creating a, a workspace, a schedule, a lifestyle, a plan moving forward. It was about 
um, sort of coaching yourself from a psychological standpoint through the process of doing something. Mm -hmm. So there's a wide range of projects within the class and there was structure around the program itself. But as I was sitting there and they were introducing early on in the second year, what our thesis project would be, the first thing that came to mind was, oh shit, I have to write a cookbook. (laughs) And I, I never thought about that in my life before, but I'd known for a long time that I was interested in food, that I enjoyed cooking. And it very slowly started as just a collection of um, healthy recipes that I would share with my peers. Mm-hmm. I was living in New York at the time, flying back and forth. And I would, I would joke that I would invite, you know, six to 10 of my friends over to my tiny studio apartment. And I would, I would cook for them mm-hmm. and I would make these elaborate, but very healthy meals. And nobody ever would complain. Everyone loved every bite and they were eating quinoa and kale and raw nuts and, you know, vegetables that I got from the farmer's market and meats that I sourced from weird places upstate and everyone loved the food. And when we would go out to eat, they wouldn't eat very healthy, Mm -hmm. but when I would cook for them, they loved it. And I wanted to show young people that healthy food can be delicious. Mm -hmm. So in the next two years, as I, as I wrote out and did and tested all the recipes, it just started to morph inside of me. I started using my intuition. I never actually wrote down or followed a recipe. I would experiment with things. I um, started dating somebody with a lot of food allergies. And so I had to get creative with how I was going to make certain recipes because he didn't eat pine nuts or he only liked mozzarella, but not goat cheese. And he didn't eat cauliflower, but he loves broccoli. And my mom at the time was a vegetarian and my dad loved meat. My grandparents are vegan. It was like (laughs) how I could find ways to please everybody. And they turned into wonderfully creative, awesome recipes that I then sort of morphed into sharing my, my journey and my experience with food, um, what it felt like to limit myself and how I moved through that with a little more freedom what it was like cooking with people and basically trying to show what went from young people to everyone Mm -hmm. that we all have this ability to cook, whether we love it or know it or enjoy it or not. And it's as simple as seeing what's available in the fridge, trying to eat more vegetables than you did yesterday, Mm -hmm. and then figuring from there. I'm the beginning of the book sort of lays out, look, I'm not here to tell you what to eat just how to eat, how to get in touch with what your body really wants and needs and how to just slow down, take a step back and find some fun in one of the most important jobs we all have in life, which is to take care of ourselves on a number of different levels, starting with what you put in your body. It is such beautiful and simple advice. And I know there are so many people listening that may be thinking, oh, you know, but I don't have time to do all this. And, you know, I work so much. And when I get home, I don't want to look in the fridge to think of like what else I need to make, because that's just another thing I have to think about. But what this um, book is great, what's great about this book is that it's so simple, the recipes that you have in there. And I think, you know, whether someone gets the book or not, 
just approaching recipes that are simple then you start to grow that confidence within yourself and I think later on you start using your intuition a bit more like a bit like a muscle and you can start creating those recipes for yourself so where you might initially stand in front of the fridge and go oh great I've got three ingredients I don't know what to make later down the track it might inspire you to be like okay now I'm going to make this 100% that's the you know that's the goal Tell me, what's one of your favorite recipes in the book? Oh, the banana waffles by far. <laughs> yeah. And, and that started because um, I don't eat any grains or any processed food or anything like that. It, it just tends to not feel very good in my body after doing my own experiments. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, this is not fair. I don't get to eat waffles and pancakes and all that kind of stuff. So I thought, why don't I figure out a way to make that happen for myself? So at the time I loved bananas. I was all about almond flour and I was still eating eggs. So I found a way to create this batter that just tasted so good and allowed me to feel like I was part of the, part of the crowd yeah. that I could have waffles or pancakes for breakfast. And it took a bunch of different tries. I kind of joke and say that I had to eat the waffles out of a bowl, kind of like oatmeal for the first 10 times I made them because the, the consistency was off and it just didn't, it still tasted good, but the banana waffles have proved to be one of the simpler recipes, one of the more fun things and tasty things for me to eat mm-hmm. and hundred percent a crowd pleaser. I have not made them for anybody who does not want them again the next day. Oh, amazing. And I remember reading a little bit about, I think it was the, it was the cauliflower. What were you making with the cauliflower? (laughs) Was it the rice or you were trying to make a cauliflower risotto? Is that correct? Yeah, I was trying to make a risotto. (laughs) And it's funny because I have since been to restaurants where they have done this very well, but at the time it was new and everyone started making cauliflower rice and substituting their stir fry and their white rice and things like that with cauliflower. Mm-hmm. And I was, I love risotto. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I have, you know, I eat rice sometimes and I make risotto sometimes, but I wanted to figure out a way to get more vegetables. Mm-hmm. So I started to make this cauliflower rice that I turned into risotto and made it in the same way that I would make risotto with some white wines some butter, some cream, a couple of herbs, maybe some lemon zest. And it was horrible. <laughs> it was kind of kind of fishy. The texture was off. It was not creamy. It was just not good at all. And I put that in the book because it's funny. It's a beautiful picture. It is. And I kind of I kind of wanted to seem a little more human. It's not like I get in the kitchen and these things turn out perfectly every single time. And I want people to know that. Just I think it was 2 days ago. I posted something on Instagram. I put together this beautiful bowl of nuts and yogurt and fruit. And below in the comment, I put, guys, just so you know, this was a really disgusting combination of ingredients for my body. <laughs> I, I do not like grapes. The goji berries were too cold. And walnuts just aren't good with Greek yogurt. That's how I feel. You know, but I, I want people to know that because it's, you know, I, I don't wake up every morning and make something look perfect and taste wonderful. And I still mess up. I'm still using my intuition every single time I cook. And just the other day, I burnt 
the crap, excuse my language, I burnt the crap out of some sweet potatoes that I've made a hundred times. Yeah. I just wasn't paying attention. And those things are okay. And I want people to know that that doesn't mean you don't have to try again. It doesn't mean you can't try again. And it doesn't mean you can't, you can't laugh about it. Exactly. And I absolutely loved that you put that story in there and the picture because the picture is beautiful. So for anyone that does get the book, make sure you check it out. It does. It looks absolutely divine. And then to hear your story, I think that is lovely because it just shows everyone, you know, like you said, you are human, you're like everyone else and you're just experimenting and following what you feel in each moment. And I think especially social media these days, so many people are posting pictures of things they're eating or editing photos of the way they look. And at least for me, being a young girl in Southern California, it tends to alter my view of myself mm-hmm. and my skills at cooking in the kitchen. And if I can't make something look as beautiful or as delicious and in whatever way that I can, I just want to share, I want to share that honesty. Plus I think it's funny and it's humorous and it can just, make light of the situation in a way that, or in the past, I've read posts from other people and just felt bad that I couldn't consistently take a perfect photo in my bikini and, you know, make the greatest risotto every night of the week. (laughs) Yeah, exactly right. That's a lot of pressure for people to take on board. What's one of the greatest things you learned about yourself during this process of making the book? I love, I love writing and what I have to say is important and I I matter. Mm. And if you would have told me two years ago or 10 years ago that I would become somebody who was writing and speaking publicly, I would have laughed in your face. Mm. I was so uncomfortable doing those things and to find out that I have a passion and a confidence and a comfort doing something I literally never dreamed of Mm. is is the greatest thing I've learned about myself. And it's because of that that I've learned other things, like my capabilities in the kitchen, mm. how much I enjoy connecting with people through food, how important it is for me in my romantic relationship to, to enjoy the experience of eating together. Mm. And, you know, people say, you can do anything you put your mind to, but you can also do the things that you never put your mind to. Like I just literally kind of realized one day looking back, like, wow, this is, this is what I'm doing in life right now. This is what I want to continue to do. And if you would have told me that in high school, there's so many other, other crazy things I would have believed before that. And I just can't believe that I, I limited myself for so long for fear of failing Mm -hmm. and that it's also something I, it's like my heart song. It fills me with so much joy and gratitude to be able to share that with people. And if that's all I get from this book, that's enough for the rest of my life, you know? Yeah. It sounds like you, I mean, you can hear it in your voice, how passionate and how much you love it. And, and I think those words that you just shared will also provide a lot of comfort for people that may be, don't know what it is that they fully want to do yet or that are still discovering what it is that they love because sometimes we don't always have that big dream sometimes we just walk into it by accident okay so I have some signature questions for you to finish off with 
Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> Tell me, if you weren't in the career that you are in now, what would you like to attempt? Ooh. I don't even know if I can answer that. <laughs> I, I guess it's similar, but I would love to be a magazine editor. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's I know that's so random, but I was doing some research the other day for the, the restaurant I'm opening and just one who puts together creative cultural content for a specific community mm-hmm. just seems cool. I mean, I don't know how I'd get into that, but yeah, a, a magazine editor. Yeah, that's awesome. And I don't think it's random. I used to be excuse me, a magazine editor myself for a few magazines. And I remember that was something that I loved doing the same, you know, being able to put together all these different ideas and showcase different people doing amazing things. And then, you know, when you finish, it's probably a similar feeling to, you know, you holding your book at the end, like collating all these wonderful things in the one spot. It's a very, um, it's a very joyful experience holding that in your hands at the end. It's good to know that that wasn't like the worst experience of your life. I'm happy to hear that. (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) Okay. And tell me, what do you think is your greatest asset? My ability to listen and Mm -hmm. to, to just see people, to just see people, to hear them and to see them and to create a space where they feel heard and seen. And is there a piece of wisdom that you've been passed down that you live by? Yeah. Just stop it. Just stop it. Stop thinking, quiet your mind, step back, whatever way it speaks to you, just stop it. Mm -hmm. We're all so wrapped up in all of the things we feel we need to do, the things we think we should do for other people, for ourselves. And none of it really matters at the end of the day. All that matters is making this moment and the next moment as good, as fun, as creative as you can possibly be. And that serves today and it serves tomorrow and it serves everyone around us. So it's funny because my college boyfriend would say, just stop it. Just stop it. When I had anxiety about something or when I was worried about something and, um, you know, five years later, that was the greatest piece of advice anyone has ever given me. I didn't believe it. And I thought it was mean and insensitive at the time, Mm. but I just, I want to, I want to call him up some days and just thank him because none of it really matters. Mm. Just stop, relax, quiet your mind. And I, I try to live by that in, in every moment in the best way that I can. I absolutely love that and I agree completely with all that you've said and it's such a a nice, um, you know, everyone has their different ways of coping with different things and and how to quieten their mind but that is such a simple one and in a way it kind of snaps you out of that mental dialogue so easily because, you know, you're just waking, waking up to yourself. It's like get out of your head and into your heart and, yeah, just stop it. Absolutely. Yeah, just stop it. 
<laughs> awesome. Well, Devin, it was so lovely speaking to you. And for any of the listeners who would like to grab a copy, you can jump on to Amazon or is there anywhere else you'd like to direct them to, to grab a copy of the book? Yeah. Any, you know, uh, sort of bigger bookstore chains should have it. And, um, primalblueprint.com should also sell it, but Amazon is probably the best way to grab it for now. And to follow me on Instagram at kitchen intuition. And if you do get a copy of a Devon's book, be sure to take a little snapshot. I'm sure she'd love to see on social media and it doesn't have to be perfect. <laughs> um, your experience of making I would, one. I would rather it be perfect. There you go. So share away. And yes, thank you again so much for chatting with us, Devin. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Take care.